I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And this week we have a great guest. We have Colette Bercou, mm-hmm. who is the uh, founder and CEO of Free for Life Ministries here in Nashville. And we're going to talk about the crisis of human trafficking worldwide. This is an incredible travesty, and I'm glad that we have a chance to talk with her. And we've got a lot of shows, so we're going so to cut away go. real quick. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is Colette uh, Bercu, and uh, we'll be right back to talk about it on Future Quake. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And here we are here with a new friend of our show, uh, with Miss Colette Bercu, who is the founder and CEO of Free for Life Ministries. And we're going to talk uh, today about... Uh, the whole issue of human trafficking, both within the U.S. and worldwide, and uh, what uh, responsibilities do Christians particularly have in in recognizing this issue and confronting it and addressing it. And I want to thank you, Colette, for uh, joining us today on the Future Quake Show. Great. Thanks so much, Dr. Future. Hi, Tom. Hey. <laughs> well, I want to thank Tom for putting us in touch with you, Colette, because uh, he, he has said uh, that we definitely need to have you on and quickly. And uh, we had originally uh, penciled you in uh, in October if you were going to be available after we had our, our, our current uh, lineup of guests through. But um, we had a situation where a sudden opening appeared, and I want to just want to thank you uh, on behalf of all of our listeners yeah. for you to step in with no notice whatsoever, uh, to step in with a quick opportunity we had on the spot uh, to come in. We just really appreciate you sort of going on the fly with us tonight. Yeah. No problem at all. You know, I mean, it just really shows you that this is the heart of God. This is something that your listeners really need to be aware of. You know, one of the things I want to say even before we get started is that people are going to be hearing numbers and they're going to think that this is astronomical. This can't be happening. But please, please, like, stay with us through the the whole show and and you know be praying as you're listening that God would speak to your heart about this. Well, I I know um Stalin I believe was the one who said that uh uh one death is a tragedy, a million is just a t- statistic. 
But in this case, it's important for people to know the scale and the magnitude yeah. that we're going to talk about in this. But at the same time, also remember, each of these numbers is a human being. Uh, yeah. It could be your son or daughter, mm -hmm. a person with dreams and aspirations and goals for the future. Each each person is someone who Christ has died for mm -hmm. and gave his life for. And we need to keep that uh, in mind because the, the scale of what you're going to share with us is just going to be uh, totally boggling, but it's something we cannot ignore and sweep under the rug. Mm -hmm. But to get started in our discussion, can you share with our listeners just a little bit about uh, your background? Uh, let us know a little bit about you. And um, right up to the time that you really got involved in this particular issue, just share this a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm I'm a Canadian. I was born in Canada and and uh, now live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, absolutely love it down here in the south. Um, and uh, basically, I grew up in the music industry and as an artist my whole life. And now I'm a decorative painter by trade. But I also I've sort of changed over to canvas painting now. So I really want people to hear that because, you know, so often we go, oh, my goodness, I'm not an expert. Uh, what can I do? Is You know, you plus the Lord is an army right there, and you don't have to be an expert. You just have to have the heart of God. Wow. Yeah. So, so you're yet another person affiliated with the Future Quake Show who has a connection in uh, the artist community. And it's wonderful to have you on as, as a part of it. I know uh, our own co-host here has uh, a lot of credentials in the music field as well. Yeah. And I don't know if the Lord gives you all a special sensitivity to, to use for the rest of us in the body or not. You know, to... It's kind of like a vow of poverty most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually it. Yeah. That is, yeah. So, so now, uh, is there any subject matter that you hope to focus in in your artwork? Um, you know, I've been doing a series because my husband, uh, who is the, the, the other half of this heartbeat of this ministry, um, is an emergency room physician. And we went on a medical mission trip to Romania mm -hmm. and did get to visit one of the safe houses when we were there. But I took pictures of of these beautiful old doors and and buildings. And so I've been doing a series of paintings on those lately. Wow. Well, that's just fascinating well yeah. I, I know our time is short so i want to jump into our subject area which is this whole area that's very poorly understood and mm -hmm. very insufficiently mm -hmm. covered in our mm -hmm. media r regarding this crisis in human trafficking worldwide and in our country can you start from the very beginning for our listeners and explain to them what really makes up this whole scope of this this concept of human trafficking. Explain what it is and, and, and what is it that really made it so established here in the modern era? Uh, well, human trafficking is the buying and selling of human beings, quite simply. It is modern-day slavery. When you hear those words, uh, think of slavery, and people think that slavery was eradicated many, many years ago, but the truth of the matter is is that there are more people that are being sold right now than there have been at any other time in history. This is an epidemic, and it is the fastest-growing criminal enterprise in the entire world. There is an estimated 27 million people right now that are being sold in slavery as we're talking, and 13 million of those are children under the age of 18. Now, that's larger than our largest cities in our country. That's bigger than yeah. all the residents of New York City. Yeah, like think of children. basically, yeah, think of New York City being gone. 
you and, know, think and, of think of those that it's just like who who misses 13 million people and nobody blanks an eye. You said that was in the U.S. No, that's in the world. In the world, excuse in, me, in the world. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, in the world, there's an estimated 27 million and 13 million of those are children. But okay. we have our own numbers here in the United States okay. of America. Um, the the numbers that the State Department puts out. We have a trafficking d- department in the State Department. And they put out a number that is a, uh, approximate. They, these are all approximate numbers because criminals don't do taxes and give numbers. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so they say there's an approximately 15 to 20,000 um, people that are being trafficked into the United States every year. Um, most people that are working in trafficking believe those numbers are low. But let's say that they're accurate. Uh, but those numbers never indicate our own children that are being trafficked on our own soil every single year. The scope of that problem is astronomical. Um, you know, we have a tendency to think of those uh, uh, those children that are out there as prostitutes, but they're they're uh, sex traffic victims. And they could be in the in, uh, being prostituted or in child pornography. They could be in stripping um, in clubs underage or or escort services. And mm. in this country, we have a law in the books that states if you are under the age of 18 and you are being sexually exploited for profit, you are automatically a traffic victim. And so we have to start to change our own mindset to see. Um, these people as victims rather than as criminals. Uh, and so I'm talking about children now, but uh, we also have um, uh, people that are trafficked here that are, are, you know, young adults. Usually there they're, they're are people in their 20s, uh, but these could be uh, people like in the sex industry, but they could also be labor trafficked. Um, working out on farms, or they could mm. be uh, maids that are being trafficked, or working in a in a restaurant, or um, just a myriad of places. You find slavery in every single aspect of our mm. culture nowadays. So, so, so wow. would you say then, by definition, these are people who do not ultimately have control over their own fate. There are other people who are making decisions over what they do and how to bring income to some other party, whether it's uh, in the sex industry or through uh, you know, slave labor, you know, uh, being paid a pittance, if anything, or maybe even just giving room and board in exchange for uh, cheap labor. Is this basically a broad definition of what you're talking about? Most definitely. They are. That's exactly what it is. It's people that are being, um, through force, fraud, or coercion, um, forced into a situation that they have no control of. Um, in when you're talking about in the sex industry, um, a lot of those people will will become sick and may even lose their lives as a result of this. Mm-hmm. It is degrading, and it is often life-threatening. Yeah, it, it, but but ultimately, it is not a lifestyle of their choice. Which, no, which most definitely does not. not. Does not yeah. fit with the American or Western world mindset that someone could ever be in a situation where they're you know, in not of their choice. Of course, we hear strange stories on the news about, like, this guy in, in Austria who had locked up his daughter in the basement for 16 years or some ridiculous period of time. And we, we hear stories like this occasionally, and they just seem to be anomalous, freakish stories. 
Mm-hmm. But but something akin to that is much, much more commonplace right under our nose and beyond the confines of our sleepy little neighborhoods. That is a reality that is extremely widespread, correct, or some variation it is, thereof? It, it is a reality. And, you know, I mean, the thing is is that when you go into Costco or Sam's Club or something and you're leaving and you see the pictures of those children that are missing, where are those children? Mm-hmm. You know, you have to ask yourself that. You know, you think to yourself, surely there would be a, a, just an outcry. I remember the woman that we work with in Romania that runs the safe house we work with there. She said to me, you know, where are people? You think they would be standing on the hilltop screaming for these children and you barely hear a word. And how did that happen? I think that's what we really have to examine. How did this uh, become so epidemic on our watch? And are we willing to be so horrified by it that we go, you know what, I can't even look at that. That's too much for me to deal with, and so I'll do nothing. Right. Uh, rather than saying I cannot tolerate it going on any further, one in one more day, and 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 basically um, to to rise up, especially in the church. This is the heart of God. These people are created in the image of God. Yeah. He knows every hair on their head. He has a purpose and a plan for them, and this isn't it. Well, you know, people in our in our country and in the West, when when you hear the word slavery, you think of something in our history books mm-hmm. that goes back in in another day and era. And in fact, it, it it's so primitive that it's even hard for us to take ourselves back that far. We, uh, although I find it very ironic that of the Western nations, I believe the United States was the last one to actually outlaw slavery. I believe mm-hmm. uh, Mexico was well before uh, the United States really? was. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that was part of the whole battle with Texas is that I think they wanted to keep their slaves and Mexico had freed their slaves. But it's still something that we picture long, long ago, far, far away. Or we think back to the ancient world when one empire would conquer another empire and they would take large parts of the people as slaves and transport them. But that has never stopped. And if anything, with modern society, now we have uh, modern tools and technology. If anything, that's increased, has it not? Most definitely, this is the fastest-growing criminal enterprise in the world. I mean, I'm going to say that again. The fastest-growing criminal enterprise in the entire world is the buying and selling of human beings. They make an estimated $34 billion a year from this. This is big business. And that's why it's so epidemic and why it is now overtaken guns in the last two years and is right behind drugs because as a drug dealer, I can sell you drugs or as a gun dealer, I can sell you guns um, one gun at a time, one drug at a time. But the truth is if you sell a human being, you can sell that person literally 20, 30 times a day. Think about that. I mean, really think about that. And in, you know, and I'm, I talk a lot about sex trafficking portion because that's primarily what we deal with in our ministry. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, think about what it would be like as a 12 year old child to be raped once 
Now think about what it would be like as a 12-year-old child to be raped 30 times a day. And traffickers don't take a day off for holidays. And with with no hope hope for it to end. Yes, and no hope for it to end. And why would there be? There was nobody that came yesterday. Nobody seems to know I'm even here. Um, why would I think that this is going to end? And it's they're they're being um, abused, uh, like uh, violently, not just you know being raped, which is just the most horrific thing you can think of, but but they're literally being tortured and beaten into submission. They're being starved so that they're compliant. Um, their families, you know, people say, well, why don't they just run away? Why don't don't people just run away? From this, if somebody was doing this to me, I would find a way mm-hmm. to escape. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they'll do things like this, and you have to remember when you're talking about children or young women, um, you're easily, much more easily manipulated as a child. But if I was to say to you, um, uh, Dr. Future, I want you to do this thing for me, and you said to me no, and I said to you, do you know what? I know where your family lives. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do this, I'm going to kill your daughter. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and this is the truth of this. This is what goes on. And so these people go, um, you know, if this is bad enough for me, why would I want to bring any more harm or shame to my family? And, and their spirits are broken. Sure. They, they give up hope. They just, you know... Um, uh, just the stories that that we have heard and the level of evil that this is i mean this is the most evil thing on the planet on the yeah. planet yes right you know a friend of mine she says um and basically she she uh heard about this when i started doing this and the lord just broke her heart as well and she said to me and you know and and I'm not saying this to make people feel guilty or, or you know, that other things aren't good things. But she said, you know, um, Christmas is coming up, and this was last year, and she said, you know, children not having toys is very sad, mm-hmm. but it's not a horror. This is a horror. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, just, just I always, when I picture this and the scale that you share with us, I just picture what I picture hell being, which is yeah. widespread torture of people, uh, wicked people uh, doing whatever they please without any restraints whatsoever on the innocent. And then I picture something on a slightly smaller scale, and that's what you're talking about. Yes, that is exactly what we're talking about. But, you know, Christ <laughs> stormed the gates of hell. That's right. For us. You know, I mean, that is what we are called to do. And we've got to be willing to go there. That's right. I mean, these things are unspeakable, but they've got to be spoken about. They have to be, because if we are not even willing to see the horror of what the world is around us because we're so comfortable in the church, what what hope does does the world stand? You know, 55% of child pornography on the internet comes out of the United States of America. Wow. Right in our own back door. Well, I, w- I mean that that's unbelievable. I, w- I want to talk more about that in the churches. Did you have a comment? I you did. Made? You know, I attended a sermon one time where the uh, the pastor gave a statistic 
that should should will probably shock a lot of our our Christian listeners. Um, he said that he talked with the Los Angeles uh, department chief who investigated uh, uh, child pornography rings, and he asked him what percentage of children, uh, what percentage of these child pornography rings were involved in out-and-out Satanism. And he said mm-hmm. 100% that he had never mm-hmm. investigated a case that there was not open Satanism going on or some type of satanic undertones to the whole thing. So uh, what you're talking you know, about. This is, this is, this is, you know, Satan's handiwork all right. over the yes. place. You don't, you don't abuse children and have the heart of God anywhere in yeah. it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the, to, to try to picture the scope of what we're talking about in its different manifestations, one of the aspects that I hear, what little I hear it talked about in the news, that I hear most about is the, the, the sex culture in the Far East, like Thailand, places mm-hmm. like this where we have, uh, wealthy businessmen from the West, or maybe mm-hmm. even from the mm-hmm. East now, that that make that their little uh, you know sadistic, uh, sick playground, where they go over there and basically without any kind of uh, restraints by local government, uh, go to a culture that's just set up uh, to meet their sick needs for the purposes and exploitation of children. It's I, I assume sex tourism. Sex tourism. That's right. That was you the term. You can believe that. Right. Uh, but it's basically exploitation and slavery tourism is what it is. Yes, and we now have a law on the United States in the United States that if you get caught um, basically being a sex tourist, you can go to jail. I believe, and I'm, I'm have to look this up, but I believe it's 30 years. It could be Good. 40. Um, and we have had cases in the United States. I mean, one just fairly recently of uh, um, a man in uh, Clarksville, I believe, that they went overseas and they got him uh, for for sex tourism. Well, and, and now we have a scenario where we have, I, I presume, networks, underground networks in our own country where they don't have to leave our own country that meet the very wealthy and powerful in each one of our communities can readily you have know, access to this in our own country. That is so true. I mean, I think that people just think that it is an overseas problem. This is not an overseas problem. This is this is our problem. Um, basically, you know, there is a, a statistic that's put out from the Justice Department when you look at uh, a report that they put out. They say that there are approximately 800,000 children that go missing or run away every year in the United States. And over the year, that number will, um, they'll know where some of those children are. They'll be relocated or placed somewhere. But there are approximately 100,000 to 300,000 children that they say are not accounted for. And, and approximately that number, uh, that some people believe that are being, um, sexually exploited for profit in our own country every year. I mean that's astronomical. Yeah, you know, and and it's, it's a good you, size you, you city. Just, yeah, yeah, you know. But the thing is, is that you have to to look at. Um, and I'm looking right now at you know um, a website, so I'm seeing this statistic before me. Is that um, there are approximately as many as 2.8 children that are living on the streets in the United States of America. 
And they say a third of those within 48 hours will be lured into prostitution. Hmm. Oh, so you do the math on that. Yeah, this isn't South America. We're talking about the old good This isn't good South US America. America. This is the United States of America. You know, and we have to wake up that this is a problem in our own backyard and, you know, start to um, basically um, have more more homes for these children when the, they are picked up and they come before the courts uh, that, that will be able to restore them, more Christian homes, um, more finances given to people, because not everybody can open a shelter. I want to sure. caution your listeners that, that are now going to think, well, let's open, uh, my heart is to open right. a shelter. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is not easy to work with these children. Imagine um, the, the, the psychological damage sure. that would be done to you um, from having to endure something like this. It is very it takes a long time. It takes a lot of love. And some of these children will go back, and that is the sad thing. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, Stockholm you, syndrome almost. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. It really is. And plus, we have to look at it, you know, from a Christian perspective. We're talking about identity. You know, the whole Christian experience is, is identity, is that I am now mm -hmm. identified as I am in Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, if this is who you think you are, that this is what God created you to do because that's what somebody told you. Now, what what are your options in your own mind? Right, right. It takes a long time to for the restoration of somebody that has been victimized. Well, well, just just uh, I want to make a few other points so people see the the scope of of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. When we look at other countries in the third world or other areas that have been ravaged by war. You see this on a on an extremely large scale, where uh, Darfur, I wouldn't be surprised, or areas in, in in that part of the world where large numbers of children are sold into slavery, mm -hmm. moved out in mass. Although they don't even they don't even cover it up. It's not so much underground. It's done openly mm -hmm. because lawlessness reigns in those areas. You've got areas like in the east where it's almost become an ingrained part of the culture. Uh, I, I believe. Uh, 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 Places like India, aren't, aren't mm -hmm. the numbers pretty staggering in India? For Well, they are. I mean, I can give you some of the statistics of places that we work. In uh -huh. Nepal, um, there is an estimated 200,000 young women and children that are sold right now um, in India in, into sexual trafficking um, and labor trafficking. Um, but in India, that number is even more staggering. I mean, we're talking in the millions, millions of people that are being sold into slavery right now. Interpol gave us a number a while ago saying that there is approximately 30,000 missing young women from Romania. 30,000. No, the, the, the one thing these people have in common is all have a perspective that there is no hope. Well, you know, I mean, how they're lured is that, you know, there might be a promise of a job. Mm -hmm. You know, you're in a in a country where there is very little education. Right. Uh, poverty is rampant. Mm -hmm. And somebody comes to you and they say to you, I mean, even as a parent, they might say to you, you know, basically, well, let me take your son or daughter. I have a great job that they can do. Not only can they work, 
um, but I will send them to school, and they can send you money back uh, to be able to feed the other children that are in your home. And all of a sudden, this child gets to where it is that they said to, that this job was, and there is no job. Mm-hmm. And the, and they say to them, you are now a prostitute. And you say, I'm not a prostitute. And they lock you in a room and to, and starve you until you become compliant or they mm-hmm. rape you mm-hmm. um, until your spirit is broken. You know, I mean, there are children as young as three and four years old that their entire existence all day long is moving bricks from one place to another. That's what the Nazis did to the Jews. Sure, yeah. Is 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 they got them because they it, there was no point to it. You know, they just they made them move mm-hmm. stones from one place to another, and when that mm-hmm. pile was done, they made them move it back to break their spirits, mm-hmm. um, and make them lose hope. Imagine a four-year-old child that that is their existence. And that's the other aspect is the the sweatshops and the other parts of the world that is using slave labor to perform these other economic duties and things like that. Uh, I can't even really call it wages. These people, I guess, just get a bare sustenance in exchange for their focused work. People need to know that slave labor is in every single thing in our economy, Um, in the coffee industry, um, in the, the cotton industry, in the banana industry, in in shoemaking, in rugs. It has permeated into every single place in our society the 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 labor and the and the, the selling of people. And we just have to now start saying, you know what? Just because something is really cheap, you have to ask then who who is making that on the other side? Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. have to start being responsible um, in in this somewhere. Well, in, as Christians, we've often I'll speak for myself or from the mm-hmm. community I've raised in. We've often seen that people who have those kind of attitudes as being real extremist. Oh, they're they're yeah, they're they get, really they get yeah. marginalized. Oh, yeah. oh, well, those people are really worked up, you know, getting, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like uh, with the extreme parts of environmental movement and things like that. They they get categorized that way. When I realize mm-hmm. that is as a Christian, if if Christians do not see that and take a stand, who will? You know, but not only that. If if we're this churned up as human beings right now when we're talking, mm-hmm. imagine how churned up God is. Well, exactly. <laughs> If we cry these kinds of tears, imagine the rivers that are flowing in heaven um, for these children and and people that are being sold like they're commodities. Uh, I mean, this is the heart of God. And if we want to have the heart of God, we then have to have our heart broken with what breaks his. Well, well, let me understand. If things do not get abated in a serious way, where is this leading? Where do you think the future is going to be? I believe within the next. Yeah, I really do believe, and I'm not alone in this, that the number one criminal activity in the entire world in the next five years is going to be the buying and selling of human beings, and most of those are going to be children for sex. Hmm. Um, And that's the truth, and that's where we're heading. And you know, we need to rise up, and we need to. um, What we do in our ministry is that basically we don't look to reinvent the wheel. 
when we came on board, we saw that there was people that are out there. Um, most of the people that are doing the work out there in the field, we have found, are, are Christians. And they've been doing this work, some of them, 25, you know, 15, 18 years. Um, and so they have been working to restore people for a very long time. And we come alongside them. And what I want to do is for them to be able to meet the needs, their daily needs that they have to be able to restore these these young women and, and children. And basically, when they make it, to these shelters that we work with, everything that they need is free. Hmm. Not a hmm. single thing do they have to pay for, which is their job training or their mm -hmm. schooling or their medical. Oh, a lot yeah. of these victims now are HIV positive as, sure. as a result. Yeah. Um, their AIDS medicine now costs money. Um, you know, all of these things are free. And so we come alongside them to be able to meet those needs. And the truth is uh, that most of these places barely can feed their children three times a day because the finances just are not there. Sure. Well, I, I, I want to uh, go back just because I want to find out some details about your ministry, mm -hmm. but I want people to really understand and conceptualize what their responsibilities are. As Christians, um, what responsibility would you say, and we've alluded to it, but but regardless of whether their heart is particularly spoken to at this moment in time or not, objectively, from what we know of, of Christ, who's revealed in Scripture, what responsibility should we all, each one of us, face regarding this issue? Uh, amongst evangelicals, the, the, the main focus is typically on the Great Commission, and we don't want to be sidetracked from our focus on on you know a social gospel instead of uh, preaching the good news and, and having a spiritual conversion of, of people uh, to get them into the kingdom of heaven. We don't, we don't want the social gospel to, to sidetrack us. What do you feel like Scripture shows and reveals to us as our responsibility for people in this situation? You know, the truth is, is that every single time that I read Scripture and when Jesus came up against a need, godly compassion always is backed with action. Always. He never, ever said, you know what, let me get back to you on that. Um, yeah, well, I might have something better to do, you know. And so what I believe, every Christian is called to get in this fight because this is a fight for the very creation of what God created, which is the, the right of a human being to be free. Christ came that we would have freedom. And for us to, to now, there will be people that will listen that go, you know what, I didn't even know this. But my thing always is, is that now that you know, you will never be able to stand before the Lord and yeah. say you didn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're responsible to, for that, you know, and that's not to make anybody feel guilty, or, but that is the truth of that. Now that you know, what will you do? Sure. And and so I think that that is the uh, the call to every single Christian mm -hmm. that is uh, that is heard about this problem. Would you also agree that if Christians were more proactive and committed to addressing this issue and doing the best within their power to eradicate it and organize to do that, that that would even help facilitate? Uh, the response that people would have to our message about the kingdom of God and spreading the gospel and the news of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that people would, would be more responsive to it if they saw us 
follow up with these kind of actions? You know, most definitely. I think that um, basically people say, you know, well, I don't see you doing anything about it, you know. Uh, but I think that, you know, I always say to people, you know, Christians um, elect the president. We have a lot of power in this country. Mm-hmm. And we need to throw it behind the things that matter. And this is something that matters. And so we need to um, ask in the presidential debates, what are you planning to do to eradicate this problem in our country? Mm -hmm. And make them tell you what their plan is. Make sure that your state legislators um, have a law on the books. I don't know if people know, but Tennessee until this summer, did not have a law on the books against human trafficking. That's, that's just, just amazing. We just got one. Yeah, that's just that ridiculous. is amazing. What? But, you know, th- th- we're not the only state out there that did not have a law uh-huh. against human trafficking. And so and so, uh, cases that came up in Tennessee had to be prosecuted on a federal level. Everybody has to make sure that their state has a level okay. and that their laws are in place. Mm-hmm. You know, those about, are those are what we need to do. Okay. Well, you know, just thinking about this from a from a spiritual standpoint, I think about the ministry mm-hmm. of Jesus. J- Jesus came on the hillside to teach, and he wanted mm-hmm. to teach people about the kingdom of God. But when he saw all these people with all these needs around him, the Bible mm-hmm. says he was moved with compassion, mm-hmm. and he often stopped his teaching to go address these needs that these people had, whether it was a, a physical healing or something else that mm-hmm. they had, or, or, or emotional or mental thing or something that was even a spiritual mm-hmm. oppression. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. says he stopped his plan of action because of his compassion. And, and even when his response personally to the grieving uh, regarding the family with, with Lazarus, the other people were marked and said, see how he loved them. Mm-hmm. And because he did that, his words carried additional moral authority, mm-hmm. not that the words needed vindication, but the people's response to it. And I would just like to think about people, consider this issue one of these issues that impacts your ability to carry on your representation of Christ to the world. Mm-hmm. That they, they will evaluate you by how you address the way you would respond to these issues the way Christ would if he walked this earth. Uh, you know, script, scripture says, unto the least of these, I cannot think of a more least of these. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. You know, exactly. that, uh, that, that this is what we're called to do. This is our call, is right. to go to the least of these. That's, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. Well, now focus on, uh, we want to talk about solutions here and strategies uh, for it. Uh, setting aside resource limitations and other things that constrain us, um, if you were the the field marshal over this issue in the world, and you wanted to come up with a plan of attack, uh, if resources weren't an issue, but we just want to come up with a with a holistic attack to eradicate this particular problem, what would be the way to do it? How, how do you see as far as the different prongs of your approach to to really uh, begin to put a stop to this? Well, I think that the top of the list always needs to be prayer. Um, you know, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Sure. This is a spiritual battle like we have never seen. And we have to be able to wrestle in in the spirit for for this. We need to pray for those that are still being held in bondage mm-hmm. that uh, God would just 
place a ray of hope in their hearts still that, that rescue is coming, but we also need to pray on the other side. We need to pray for those that are caught in the bondage of, of um, uh, the, the demand side, those that are, are purchasing these children, those that are the traffickers. We, we need to reach out in compassion to that side too, and we have to be willing to start talking about this in the church. I think that that is really, really paramount. If we're not willing to see this in the church, we're not, we're not going to do anything. And then my vision really is, and I believe everybody can do this. Um, if everybody would donate just $10 ongoing a month, we would have enough to meet every single need that comes along our, our, our field of vision. And that's just $10 ongoing a month. Um, so we really look in, in that area. Um, basically, people can go on our website, which is www.freeforlifeministries.com. You can contact us if you're in the Tennessee area um, and you want to um, come and volunteer and be part of what we're doing. Um, we always need more hands. Um, if there are listeners that are, are uh, have influence in the media, um, like you do, do a program on this. Do a news article on this. If you are a musician, write a song about this. Um, if you are a mother, talk to your children about this. We need, just need to start permeating our culture uh, with this message. Wow. One of the questions I have is how mm-hmm. come, in your estimation, how come this isn't talked about more at churches? I mean, they, I see a lot of churches with some awfully big buildings. You know, mm. and some awfully, uh, uh, they're awfully well kept. And if if money is mm-hmm. such an issue, this is, I mean, to me, this is just like the ultimate, the ultimate evil. And I hadn't really heard about it until I, mm-hmm. until a chance encounter with you a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, could you, could you speak to that a little bit? You know, I think that the, the church, and I can only speak for the church in America and my my perception of that. Um, I believe we've we've become complacent. Mm-hmm. I think that that basically we have enjoyed being in our churches and and coming in on Sundays, but but we don't like to feel uncomfortable anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so because we've we've come so much into the world and we're so used to turning the channel with things that become uncomfortable to us. We also do that in the church, and and again, this is not. I'm not broad brushing anybody, and I'm not. I'm wanting this to sound critical, but I think a lot of churches now really are about finances and numbers, mm-hmm. and we don't like to talk about things that make our parishioners uncomfortable. They may leave and go to the church down the street, where it's not uncomfortable, and so. We don't like them to be challenged. I think that really uh, that we just are not making disciples anymore. Hmm. Wow. Uh, you, and I mean, I don't mean that to sound like harsh, and, and but I see that. No, I, I, think really, I think it's true. I think you're being very gentle. Yeah. I think I think you're. you're Thank actually, you. <laughs> it's a good thing you didn't ask me that question. You're, you're giving much oh, more God. grace. Yeah, you're giving much more grace than what Tom <laughs> and either one yeah. would do. Uh, in okay. This okay. I, I've, I've got a question for you. Um, yeah. Do, um, 
have have there been a number of other Christian media outlets, Christian radio shows, or similar things like this that you know of that have spotlighted this issue, either through your ministry or others that you know of? You know, I did actually a radio show out of St. Louis uh, a little while back, and they had, as the same as you did, Tom, they kind of came across this, and they went, wow, we have to do a show on this. But but it is very slow. It mm-hmm. just seems mm-hmm. like it's it's so difficult to be yeah. able to get a platform or or a table at a conference or or I'm talking to be about, able to speak before a Bible study. Right. I'm talking about a major syndicated a national show. You know, I know show. Focus on the Family has done some stuff on it, uh, but it is it is small. It really is small, and it's and it's not. Um, there have been some shows like uh, on CBS and and stuff, but there it's just so small for the for for how serious this is. Um, and I think that it's only I don't know if it's just starting to come to light a little bit more that people are starting to. Focus on it. I think you're going to hear more about it in the next few years. But I think that more and more people like you, God will place them in mm-hmm. a position that they'll hear about it and you'll hear more. So I think you guys are really on the on the cutting edge well, of, you know, of what's going to go on. You know, there's a movie that was out not long ago that received all sorts of critical acclaim about the life of um, William Wilberforce. I believe it was called mm-hmm. Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. And and it was about a you know a man who was committed to addressing this this issue of of slavery in his era and his time, and he made a difference. Mm-hmm. Do you think the church can rise up, particularly through the power of the Holy Spirit? And has the resources that are adequate with all of the money that's trading hands and the probably trillion dollar industry, if you add it all up uh, worldwide, that we have the wherewithal to virtually eradicate this if we get our act together and make this a priority? Well, you know, even if we don't eradicate it, we certainly can can put a huge dent in it. You know, the church in America has so much money. We could feed probably every hungry person in the world yeah. and eradicate human trafficking if we put our money to better use. You then, mean we'd have to get rid of some of our chandeliers. Yeah. You know, I hate to say it. You know, yeah. and 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 you know, as as great as it some of these tools are and stuff, I don't know if we need another ball pit for kids to play in. Oh no. When children are being held literally in cages in India. Literally, like you would keep your dog in. So now, is you know, that is that the equivalent of the of the uh, person in the parable who took their talent and dug it and put it in the ground, when they could be investing that talent to save people from from abject exploitation? When when we're putting in it just to soothe our own desire for entertainment here locally, our own creature comforts in our own church, isn't that basically what we're doing? Is we're taking the Lord's talents and just sticking it in the ground? Well, I think that's what we're doing, yes. and I think that also <laughs> we have become um, people that like to feel good. Oh, we like to, We like to feel good. And so basically, well, gee, uh, that's why people want to go. It's like, well, $10 isn't very much. That doesn't make me feel good. Well, could I go and rescue children in India? 
And I always say to people, the amount of money that you spend on a plane ticket to go over there to do little or nothing, um, I could give to these people and they could do a lot. Mm-hmm. But you would not get to feel good. Sure, sure. Yeah, there's <laughs> it's no, no photo op opportunity. There's for no you. photo op. Yeah. Right. And, and are we willing to sacrifice and say to the Lord, you know what? That's what he's saying, you know, in the in when he's talking about the Pharisees and basically you're praying out loud mm-hmm. and and you want everybody to see you how how amazing you are. Are we willing to never ever be seen at all? Right. It, and it, still put everything we have behind this. You're seen seen only by our heavenly Father. Right. Yeah. And we have to ask ourselves that question. Is that enough for us now in the church? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly right. I I just I find it in, infuriating and convicting uh, when I see this contrast. Where you say people with just a a small investment that could save so many in in, in the waste, the widespread yeah. waste in our church. You know, one of the scenes that I saw in a movie that's the most moving of any movie I saw was at the conclusion of Schindler's List. When they they have a vehicle and and all of the the Jews that he had saved there just planted prepared for him to try to escape, and he was immediately struck with the few trinkets and things he had yeah. that he could have sold to save just a few more people. He grabs that gold pin and says, "I could have saved one more person with this gold pin. Just with one that more pin. person with just with this pin." And and I saw a person you know for one of the rare times in a movie. For a very brief instant, as a very flawed person, he had the mind of Christ mm-hmm. for that for that brief instant and portrayed the mind of Christ on there. Uh, whether that was intended by the director or not, I don't know, but it, it certainly came across to me. And that's really the reality of what we're talking about. Yeah. We, we are setting literally on the resources that could be life or death and completely change the life of untold numbers of people. If we would just you know, get our heads screwed on straight. I mean, the the budgets that I'm talking about of these shelters are so small. Um, Nepal has had over a thousand people come in their doors over the last uh, 20 years. They have led 500 of those kids to Christ, and their awesome. budget is $65,000 a year. <laughs> um, in India. Their budget for the 12 children that they have right now is $22,000 for the year. Uh, there's a woman that I'm talking to that's working in Nicaragua, Christian woman out of Texas that is working full-time to be able to keep this shelter going. Mm-hmm. Her budget is $28,000 for the year, and she said to me, you know what, I have eight little girls that are in this house that were, were traffic victims, she said, I'm getting ready to close my doors because nobody cares. And I said, you can't close your doors. Where are those kids going to go? Those eight kids, even if you do nothing else, where are those children going to go? Nowhere. Nobody's going to take them. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to care about them. They will probably be spit out on the street. Someone will snatch them up, and they'll either lose their lives or they'll live in hell. Mm-hmm. And what are those children going to think about God? What are we going to leave with them an impression about who our Heavenly Father is when we have the resources to address it and we choose to keep our hands in our pockets? 
you know, there was a documentary that was made, and the title of that documentary speaks so profoundly to what you just said. And it was a story of a woman that was trafficked, and the title of that documentary was The Day My God Died. And it was because the very first day she was sold into slavery was the day she she believed God had died. Uh, You know, I mean, that's what this truly is. And basically, we come back into their lives and say, you know what? I know it's hard for you to understand, but God was there crying and weeping over you every single step of the way. And he cares for you, and he loves you, and we love you. And and we are here with you, and we want you to have a future and a hope. Let us try to help you put your life back together again. Well, the, the bitter irony, too, is that we are a people who were hopelessly sold to sin, mm-hmm. and we had uh, someone who came and paid an innumerable price to rescue mm-hmm. us from this. And here we see people in the same general type of position – uh, hopelessly sold out to others in in, in anguish, mm-hmm. we have the wherewithal to redeem them. That the Lord has blessed us economically so well through no goodness of our own, He has blessed, us, and we have the wherewithal to, to to return and pay forward, so to speak, that redemption process. Yet, yet we don't. I know, I know people who spend an extra ten dollars a month or ten dollars a week on cigarettes that they give out to people that they know at work. Mm. I, yeah, it's just like come when I, come you on. Know, Tom, when I started this, you know, I guess I was really naive. I thought this is going to be so easy if I could get one thousand people to donate ten dollars ongoing a month. Mm-hmm. That would meet the needs of one house. I mm-hmm. could move on to another house. It has been so difficult to get people to part with $10 ongoing a month. That is two cups of good coffee or not even a movie and a drink. Yeah. Now, a month. our listeners right now, we're, we're going to talk about this more detail about your ministry when, when, in, in our last phase of this interview. But right now, if you just happen to be listening now and the Lord led you to this uh, episode on the dial today when you're scanning across the radio dial and you heard this, God may be telling you that you need to be one of those people yeah, maybe it's that time you've led to, to you do know, that. Step up. And, and 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 I'm going to ask you again at the at the end of our interview. But what is the uh, website that they need to go to and to obey the Lord by doing this if the Lord has so led them? What, what yeah, what's they that? Can, they can go to our website, which is www.freeforlifeministries.com, and you can donate right on the website. Um, we take every single way that you can donate, um, or you could actually, if if you um, don't want to do that, you can send in a check to us uh, to Free for Life Ministries. Make it out payable to Free for Life Ministries, um, and that is P.O. Box one five eight seven one five Nashville, Tennessee, and the zip code is three seven two one five. Dash eight seven one five, and if this helps at all, people tell me it shouldn't make any difference. But we are a five hundred one; mm-hmm. we're totally tax deductible. Sure. So you, you know, if that is what it's going mm-hmm. to take for then, people to to donate, we're tax deductible people. Well, that may help them to give more. 
that yeah. gives them an yeah. opportunity to uh, let Uncle Sam have a little less and uh, have the, the dear people who need it to have more. So, so be it. And if you don't mind, uh, we'd like to have your link on our website. We and, would love that. And, and have the link uh, when, when people go to hear this archive show. It'll be right there where, uh, where they can get hold of it, too. And, and I want to remind our listeners that uh, no one may see you when you make the donation, but I wouldn't be totally surprised when you get to the other side that there may be tens of people, even hundreds of people, who may come to you in heaven and say, that particular money made its way to me and bought my redemption. I I learned about Jesus Christ because of that money that you provided. You know, Dr. Future, that's kind of what my story is. The little girl that was sold before my eyes on that 48 hours television show, um, basically it's a long story, but right now no one knows where that child is again. But I know she changed my life. Right. She mm-hmm. may not have been significant to anybody else, and nobody else may may think that she was worth anything, but she changed the course of my life. And I believe when I get to heaven, I will see Nicoletta, and I'll say, thank you so much that 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 you changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I could pour my life into something that that really, for the kingdom of God, really, really made a difference. Well, when, when you decided to do something, how in the world did you kick this off <laughs> to go from a conviction in your heart to actually put something that came into a bona fide ministry like this? You know, I mean, this is more. This is also how I'm wired, and so um, you know, not all your listeners would kind of probably think like this but basically i was so broken hearted by it is that i just said lord i have to do something i don't know what that is but i have to do something and i went to the 48 hours website that i saw the show on and they had a link to the woman who ran the shelter in romania and I basically emailed her in Romania, and I said, I'm one woman. I don't know anything about your world, but if I can ever do anything to help you, know that I would. And and God just took it from there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so yeah. you just made yourself available to the Lord. He took, I, he, yeah. took care of the, he took care of the rest. God will take care of the rest. We now in... In the two years we've been going, we literally are in six countries, and hopefully we'll be working with that woman in Nicaragua, which means we'll be in seven. And your headquarters is here in Nashville, correct? It's in Nashville, yeah. Okay. And you're reaching out to all parts of the globe from right here in Nashville. Do you have other helpers that are on staff with you? You know, we have volunteers that come in every Tuesday and Wednesday Mm -hmm. um, that came um, that come and and help us do different things like work on the like brochures and stuff envelopes and uh, things like that. And uh, we now have one part time um, assistant because I just couldn't keep up. But the Mm -hmm. Lord has blessed us with a larger home, and so we we are able to run our whole business with all our volunteers out of our house. So my husband and I are volunteer, and everybody else that comes is volunteer. We have one Mm -hmm. part-time employee, but everything else is volunteer. Mm. And you you are rescuing the perishing, and and it's sort of like an emergency room. These people need emergency care. And you're providing an emergency room where every moment counts. 
you're gathering every scrap of resource that you can and immediately reinvesting it where it's desperately needed just in time. That that saves one, two, five, ten more people every time you get that that little small resource mm-hmm. out to the out frontier areas. Most definitely, you know, and I always say to people, you know what, I have no pride when it comes to this. I will beg anybody for money because I am the voice of someone who has no voice. Um, And so I'm not asking for money for myself. And so it makes me very bold. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And I can kind of go, you know what? How can you can you not give ten dollars to this child, you yeah. know that that needs to be in this shelter maybe for the next two years of their life to be able to put their life back together again? Mm-hmm. How could you say no to that? You, you are, know, you, and well, you you are their representative, and they are counting on you. you that's the, what I think. People like <laughs> you are the only hope they have, and therefore it's just like a, when a child is missing and a parent or grandparent will do whatever it takes to get their case heard mm-hmm. on national television or get mm-hmm. exposure, yeah. whatever it takes to get as many volunteers out in the field to get it going. They don't care about their own pride, or at least they no. shouldn't. They, 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 what they care about is one focused goal is, is to help in the redemption and the delivery of these precious young people, and that's what you're doing on the behalf of these children. You know, and, and that's what my, my hope and my heart is for your listeners, that they would literally become the voice of those that have no voice. Mm-hmm. And it could give their life meaning. We have a lot of people out here who have resources. We 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 are mm-hmm. we still you know we have economic challenges and things in our country. I don't mean to diminish that, but in general no. we are a land of plenty. And mm-hmm. in general, if we if if we you really work hard and and you're resourceful and creative, you can find ways to live at least a modest lifestyle. But what mm-hmm. we are short of, what we really have a famine on, is, is meaning in our life. Oh, yeah. We actually have totally. a fulfillment and feel like our life is making a difference from one day to the next. And it sounds like to me what you're saying is if we take either the, the financial resources we have or go down and get involved in a group like what you're doing, mm-hmm. that the Lord can use these things to provide real meaning in our lives and no, to feel definitely. like we are we have made a difference in the world and the people around us. You know, God wants us to be involved in the work. It says in Scripture that he has prepared works for us to do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean, you know, a job to go to, you know, eight hours a day and then come home. It means work in the kingdom. Yeah. Well, well what what is the scope of your ministry right now? What is the, the, the scope of the type of things that you have ongoing that you support? Well, um, we are working with, uh, like I said, we're working uh, with a shelter in Romania. We're working with a shelter in uh, Nepal. We're working with one in India. We work with a lone pastor who has a heart to do this in the middle of Tanzania. Um, we work with, uh, here in the United States, um, uh, more on the outreach side of it, the, um, and we are working with a few other organizations to see about the possibility of building some shelters here in the United States. Um, and uh, uh, hopefully we will be working with this woman in Nicaragua, we are working to raise finances to reopen one of the only shelters that's in Russia that right now has closed their doors from lack of finances. Um, and each of these programs, each of these houses have different other programs that they're working on as well, like Yana, who is in Romania, literally from tenacity, you guys would love this woman, 
um, an amazing Christian woman, it has built a hotel in the middle of the Carpathian Mountains um, <laughs> with sheer tenacity. And and she, uh, with that hotel, it will be a non-profit hotel. It will not only boost the economy in the Transylvanian Valley, which means that those people won't be lured out to be trafficked, um, but it will make the shelter that she has in Romania now not have to count on anybody else for a dime. Um, so awesome. that hotel is now finished, but we have to raise the money for the interior of that, which means all of the furnishing, the kitchen stuff, the draperies, anything you'd need uh, to run a hotel, we still have to raise the finances for that. So that's Romania. Nepal, one of the things that is so unbelievably successful in Nepal is they have been given um, favor to to do a border monitoring program. And if your listeners or you know anything about the, the government in Nepal, right. um, basically it's very convoluted. There's a lot of people with their fingers in the pie. But they've been given favor by God to, um, on their own, set up little tiny uh, um, stations that look very unassuming and watch people walk back and forth across the border between Nepal and India because there is no border. Um, and um, they pull them aside if they think that there is something not right, and they basically can prevent up to 300 women, young women and children from ever being trafficked into India per border monitor station a year. Our goal is to open another 10 of them in the next uh, five years, and each station costs approximately $10,000, to start and around $1,800 to keep going. Mm -hmm. But think of it, they can prevent 300 people from being everly, ever sold a year per station. So if we have 10, that is 3,000 people we can, we can prevent from ever having to live one day in hell. A, a pretty large community yeah. of people Amazing. In, in heaven, so, new citizens in heaven. So these people are very resourceful that we work with. They they are always looking at things in Nepal. They also teach the girls um, uh, candle making and goat raising and um, how to drive. And uh, so all of their their uh, schooling and stuff uh, to be able to move forward in their community is also needed. So they work on that. We're working in India with them to be able to purchase a piece of land to build their own shelter. Right now they rent, and their landlady is saying to them they're, she's going to raise their rent to the point that now they're looking at moving all their children and finding something cheaper hmm. because they can't afford to pay for uh, the shelter that they have, even the rent. So we're looking to get them a facility where basically it would be their own. Um, so we need to purchase the land and for them. And then we're going to work on an agricultural um, uh, program for them that they're able to raise their a lot of their own food. Amazing. It's wow. just it's amazing. It's mind-boggling how you how these people are just so um, uh, you know they're not 
they're not going, okay, just continue to pour money into us, but they're thinking, well, right. what can we do um, to move forward? And that's really why we loved these people are so amazing. Now, if, if you want to, you know, tell your children about heroes, they're not our football players and right. our basketball players. These are heroes. And and I am just privileged enough to also call them friends and family. Sure. Uh, wow. Now, the people that you, I want to make sure I understand, the people who you are talking about in, in these facilities, these mm-hmm. children also hear about the saving grace of Jesus Christ as well, too. They, they're, they're taught spiritual truths as well, too? Most definitely. Like I said, in Nepal, they have led um, approximately 500 of those kids that have come through their doors to Christ, which means that those children will go back and maybe in their village they will be the only voice uh, that that tells that village about Christ. These wow. children are evangelists. Then when they go back to their own villages, they were telling us a story about these two young girls that were trafficked and came to know the Lord. And literally, they're, they're, the closest church to them was they walked 10 miles to and 10 miles back to be able to even attend a church. Wow. You know, we're, we're talking about investing, investing yeah. the Lord's resources. I, 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 I tend to remember, a, 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 um, this is a true story about a, a, um, a gentleman who was raised in a tribe in, in, a, uh, in the remote part of India who was reached, his tribe was reached by the... Uh, a British missionary that was sent over, and he was mm-hmm. underwritten by one elderly lady over in the UK that paid for him. He was able to translate the Gospel of John in their language bef- before mm-hmm. he had to return. And the head of that tribe found, found Christ, accepted Christ, and several others through that. Great. And they actually, uh, the, the, the chief directed his son, because they had no contact with the outside world, this remote tribe, to send his son into, quote, the real world and to learn to figure out how to translate the rest of the Bible into their language. And uh, that gentleman's name was Rochanga Padayati for a group called Bibles for the World. And it turned out he had tremendous talent. The British wanted to exploit him for political purposes and things. But he stayed true to form and uh, never wavered from his duty until he had learned and educated himself to translate the entire Bible and was able to go back to that village and give it to his father right before his father died and give it back wow. to his entire it was the largest tribe in India uh, and led this entire enormous tribe, tens of thousands of people to the Lord and now his mission is to make sure that every single person in the world has a Bible and is well on his way to doing that already and it was because there was some elderly woman that made a strategic investment in a missionary right for an ideal time and a particular time. And then the Lord takes that investment and multiplies it from there. You know, I mean, it's amazing. Like I I always say to people, you know, 13 million, let's just take the number with the children. 13 million children in the world are being sold into slavery. You can't tell me that maybe the cure for cancer is not sitting in the middle of those 13 million children. These children are bright. They, they, you know, they, they're, there are geniuses in the middle of, of this. There are, the, you know, but they will never come to their potential because nobody is, is giving them a shot. Evangelist, the next Billy Graham, the next uh, uh, people like you say. 
who could change leader the world. Of a, leader of a country could be in the middle of this, you but, know? But even that, if they that, don't, even if they don't, they are still yeah. of innumerable value in Christ's eyes. You make an excellent point. It's the same point I thought is that who, who knows what the destiny of these children may be. But yeah. it's just the fact that they're made in God's image. And they're made in God's image. They're made in the image of God, and that is the only worth that, that any of us have as a human being, right. is that, that we are made in the image of God, um, and, and that should be all that is required of us. Are there any um, other quick success stories you can share with us uh, from your ministry? You've already shared some just there briefly that are just marvelous. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, anything else that comes to mind? Well, I can tell you um, of one story that is both a success and a heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, a little girl, she was 14 years old. She was a sex traffic victim, um, and she made it to uh, the safe house in Romania. And when she came as a result of being raped, um, she was pregnant. Um, and they knew she was pregnant with twins, and she had grown up in the orphanage system in Romania, and she had said to Yana, you know, I really want to keep uh, these babies. And Yana said, you know, I will do everything that I can to help you do that. And Yana was actually in the process of um, adopting this young girl. Uh, out of the hundreds of girls that she's had, this one girl God spoke to her heart, and she was going to adopt her and be grandmother to these children. Mm-hmm. But this is what happens is that basically this child, her whole life had had no one sow that kind of love into her. And a few days after the babies were born, she literally walked out of the hospital and abandoned them. And God did such a miracle because when she went into labor, the doctors at the hospital there uh, said that those babies were not viable because she was seven months pregnant when she went into labor. Mm -hmm. They put her aside and said, these babies are going to die. We're not going to do anything to save their lives. And we had an army of people praying for these children. She didn't just have twins. She had triplets. Um, and uh, basically, they were all under a pound. And um, the uh, one of those, and Yana pulled every string that she had, and she got them moved to a better hospital. And um, the basically, one of the children did did not survive. Um, and uh, but the other two uh, were very very sick, and they needed some medicine that was very very expensive. And my husband was able to get on the phone to the manufacturer here in the United States, and they gave uh, us $3,000 of this medicine for free. And then within 24 hours, he found a mission team that was leaving from the United States, from another state, to go to Romania. They literally walked off the plane and handed the hospital this medicine to save these children's lives. And Yana now has adopted those two babies, and they just turned a year old. Oh. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing story. Um, you know, it's both heartbreaking because you see right. one side of, of that somebody that just wasn't able to accept that kind of love in their lives and walked out. But at the same time, how... 
some people because people were saying and stuff to her a, a police officer actually said to her you know all that comes from whores there are more whores mm. Mm. and about these two babies and she said well i need you to know i'm their mother and you know and we pr- have prayed over those children there is nothing physically wrong with them mm-hmm. um you they, know that that attitude that person had i'm yeah. ashamed to say many people in church subconsciously may think those same kind of things i i think you're right and and that is sad to say at least in their actions no but you know they may not verbalize or consciously but our actions sort of belie those kind of attitudes yeah and and you know we know that god has an amazing plan and testimony for these kids um, basically, they're, they are, these children are quite famous around the world in their story now. Um, but they just turned a year and it's a miracle that they have no, um, neurological problems sure. or anything sure. because not only did they have massive infections, um, as a result of the hospital not taking mm-hmm. care of them, mm-hmm. but the mother had syphilis as a result of being oh. trafficked. The babies all had syphilis. Um, and so for them to be completely perfect without any physical problems as a result really shows the, the mercy and the miracle of, of, of God in their lives. I, it's I, just a phenomenal story. I assume that you don't have too hard a time getting motivated every day you get up. In the morning. You know, uh, this is what I do probably around 60 to 80 hours a week. And, this, and you're right. I do not have a problem getting motivated. I I talk every day to whoever will listen. But every no hour, no matter you... if it's two people or right. or yeah. twenty thousand. Yeah. But but because, uh, every hour you spend and invest, there are lives being saved as a net result mm-hmm. of each of those hours. I'm thinking that's a tremendous motivational force for yeah. people to have meaning yeah. in their life. You know, I think to myself, I'm in now. You know, I can't, I mean, I can't stop. I mean, I cannot stop. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, the truth is, is that I say to people all the time, you know, if I decide to go and sit down at my couch and watch my TV, quite literally, my life probably w- won't be affected. Right. But, but where is my obligation now in that? Because like I said, it, you know, at the very beginning of this program, I may not have known before, but once I did know, how could I ever stand before the Lord and right. say I did everything I possibly could yeah. do to to get in this fight and for the kingdom of God and for his glory and or or go back to my my life and say, you know what? That was really sad. Sure. But uh, you know, right. it doesn't but, really you know, affect Cheers me. was on, well, so I had to yeah. Thank goodness yeah. God is the God of now, and all he cares about is what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that is so true. The the uh, w- w- your, your ministry right now, what are current projects and your plans for the future? We're in the last few minutes of our interview, so I want to sort of focus on the future for you. What, what, do you. what do you have ongoing now and in the future in a special way? Well, you know, I think that um, each of those projects that we talked about earlier with Romania and Nepal and India, all of those are ongoing, and we're working on each and every one of those projects right now as we speak. Um, We're working on also uh, redoing um, uh, 
a lot of our promotional materials so that we're able to be on larger platforms. So if anybody has, uh, we can come and speak with, you know, to your church or Mm -hmm. anything in the area. Um, And uh, my vision, quite literally, is to support a safe house in every single country in the world. So this work ongoing is not going to stop anytime Mm -hmm. soon. Mm -hmm. So that really is my vision, is to support a safe house in every single country in the world. Mm. Uh, A testimony to Christ, every one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, What about, if you've got just a a couple minutes, you can explain, what, what is this about a... A, a uh, call and response uh, movie? Is it a documentary about or premiere? Well, it's, yeah, it's actually a rockumentary. Uh, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's quite cool. And they have um, a bunch of artists and big artists like uh, Switchfoot is actually involved in this. Um, as one of the artists, and and there are other artists that are, and Ashley Judd, uh, and they are talking about trafficking, and they're doing songs, and so what they are saying is that they want to put 100% of the proceeds towards projects um, that uh, uh, from this movie, and one of the projects that they are going to do is is build one border monitoring station uh, with us in Nepal, so um, basically, we're waiting for a release date here in in Nashville. They are hoping to release it on the 10th. They want to do it in 10 cities, and Nashville will be one of them. Um, but you can go to the call and response website, and people can look at the trailer. And um, just keep looking at our website, and there'll be uh, a release date on there when we get one. Uh, but what we want to do is we want to not miss this opportunity to be able to have every single one of those seats filled. Bring groups of your youth ministries or sell, sell a block at your church or something because we want um, – this to start a brush fire here in in Tennessee and mm-hmm. the Kentucky area and wherever your listeners are. Um, try to get involved with this movie where you are and to stir up your community to say, you know what, let's let's get involved in this fight. Let's not just go and see a movie, get all upset and all sad and walk out and go, wow, that was that was mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's but, a motivation to action. Motivation to action. That's that's the whole thing right mm-hmm. there. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. We I I had uh, known of a church here in, in our in our inner city here, who um, did not wanted to stop a ministry to homeless people uh, at the church because they wanted to appeal more to the the yuppies that were moving into the condos downtown. Are you and serious? They, and they yeah, and they felt like that it would turn away the yuppies that they wouldn't want to be around a church with. Homeless people hanging around the the church they were getting close wow. so they could go to interviews. That just and boggles my mind. I'm not saying that to to, to pick on them per se. No, that's okay. I'll but do it. the reason why I'm bringing this up is is that my my opinion is is the reason why we don't have more quote yuppies or people who are not plugged into church that are wanting to have an experience with other people of faith is because we're not doing more of that because we're not mm-hmm. addressing more of the people in need. When, yeah. when people see Christians doing what you're doing and doing these things, you don't have to motivate them to see your sincerity and to think maybe there is something to this thing of following Jesus. 
When they see you do that, you suddenly have a moral authority where you can share with them the gospel. You can share with them your convictions about Jesus Christ who motivates you to do this. Mm -hmm. And you suddenly have the credibility and the respect that they're looking for, the reality. So I would just like people to consider that. If, if you don't feel like you are having enough impact in the people of this culture around you, in your witness, and your testimony, how about doing some things like that that get their attention? And that, that they, will, they will follow you when they see, as Christians, we are providing leadership in these areas. And I just want to thank you for what you're doing to set the example for that. And uh, I, I really feel like, uh, I know you wouldn't look at yourself this way, but I sort of see people like you as the brigadier generals in God's king, kingdom and his <laughs> army. Uh, you, you may not be a real menacing presence uh, face-to-face, but in the, in the spiritual realm. I don't realms, know Tom's met me. You have to ask him. <laughs> but pretty, it, pretty unmenacing. But in the spiritual realms, you carry a lot of stars on your shoulders. Yeah. And you have a you lot of response. Start doing neck exercises. Well, when you get to heaven, your crown is going to be so, there's a, so no, heavy. I, you know, I, I mean this very seriously. The, the, you are involved in areas that use a lot of the Lord's resources yeah. and covers a lot of territory that he's turned over the keys to you and others like you. And and those of us who are the buck privates in, in God's kingdom need to sort of get in line and get behind these people who have stepped forward and taken leadership responsibilities so we can accomplish the work of the kingdom. And I just want to thank you so much for that. I hope my other listeners not not only are just giving you an attaboy, but are going a step further, like we're saying, and in, in, in saying, I want to get involved, or I want to let other people know about it so they can get involved, find a unique way I can serve. And so in conclusion, we've got about a, about a minute. Can you Within a minute, can you just tell us very quickly, again, your website and how people can get involved? Uh, the website that they can go to is www dot free for life ministries dot com and you can go on that website you can email me i return all me emails uh you can donate right on our website um you can uh send us a check at uh free for life ministries um p o box one five eight seven one five nashville tennessee and the zip code is three seven two one five dash 8715 or you can go on Facebook and you can not only join our cause don't just become a member on a cause but really become a supporter on that cause and um, literally people can donate all the way up in Montreal on Facebook and they take a very small percentage of of your donation mm-hmm. as uh, off there, so it's really a good way to donate. Do Do you have groups here that get together locally in Nashville? Um, you know, yes. we're uh, we also there's a rescue and restore coalition here in Nashville mm-hmm. of of other like-minded people that are working on this, and we actually we you want to see the body of Christ working. Mm-hmm. We we champion each other's ministries. Mm-hmm. We're not in competition. We literally all were here last mm-hmm. Friday at our house having a prayer meeting about where the Lord is guiding us and directing us to help each other and mm-hmm. move forward on this mm-hmm. issue. Um, wow. So people can people can plug in many ways. We have a prayer team that uh, um, if people feel like their their gifting is mm-hmm. a prayer warrior. We need you on that team. We have a lot of prayer requests always. Well, Colette, we're going to have to run real quick here on our interview, but I want to thank you so much for your time sharing with us and would like yeah. to have you back regular this to give was, us updates. This was great. 
and uh, we're going to try to do everything we can to, to promote what you're doing. Thank you again for blessing us today. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Nothing can change the shape of things. Nothing can change the shape of things to come. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And you know it's Friday, so what does that mean? It's time for what? A nap. Not a nap. <laughs> That's for our listeners during this hour. Oh. It's tomorrow's Tremors, yes. or today's review of the Future's News. Yes, yes. As you've said many times, I'm the one who worries about details like the names of our shows. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm just trying to be funny because I have nothing to add when it comes to um, uh, uh, anything. I, I have never described you that way. I know you haven't, but in fact, it, you won't even folks, see like a little folks, excerpt let me, on let me our tell radio you, when station. it comes down to when it comes down to people working hard for for stuff, Mister Future here, Doctor Future, sorry. Dr. Future here uh, stands alone. This guy works so hard for this. Well, thank you for and, saying that. You don't have to say that. Well, yeah, but you know, I, people get their yeah, money you're right, for I don't, it. You're right. I don't have to. All their hard-earned <laughs> hard money buying for this. They get I don't, exactly I don't have to say for. anything, but I feel it needs to be said, so I'm saying it. Well, Tom, that is very, very kind of you, and that's a real encouragement. And that's just like our listeners when they email us and tell us... Uh, that we're being a blessing to them. In fact, you know what? Room, it's just nice to hear that. Even you know what? My old buddy, my old co-host. Well, I'd like to say this. Why don't we have a um, Why don't we have an internet contest where people can email us and tell us uh, what they like most about uh, the show and Doctor Future? If it's a contest, what are the rules? How do they measure the people that I mean, we were the, like the judge scoring criteria? You're right. Well, we're going to get a bunch of. Uh, French and Russian judges to exchange oh, no. votes for uh I hear a lot of medals. whistling going uh, on. Yeah, like if we vote good in the hockey, they'll they'll hold our uh, speed skaters so up. So this is like liberal arts skaters. stuff. It's all going to be subjective kind of thing. Oh yes. There is no there is no criterion. The criterion is is we would just like to hear I would just like to hear people encourage Dr. Future. Well, thank you for saying that's that. That's what I that's all well, I want people, people to do. People have done that much and I want to thank you much for that cuz um we're just like a hip little rat pack here between you and me and our guests and our uh, listeners. And Pyro. And Pyro, who yep. joins us frequently. Yeah. And so we have a mutual admiration society, and we'd like to make that circle bigger. So one yeah. of the best things you could do is not only to email us, but to even maybe drop a line. And this is only if you have something nice to say. Yeah. To W-E-N-O. Uh, yeah. And let them know what you think about it. Yes. If you have something nice to say. If it's something bad, just send, send it to W-N-A-O. us. Just vent on us. Yeah. We'll yeah. we'll be your for your your foil yeah, for the and, uh, negativity. And also um, another thing that you could do is to get everybody you know to listen and try to you spread know, the word. We want to go viral. As much as I, I I don't know what to say about that, but <laughs> is it? Did I use that hip word? You did. Right? You did word. Use the hip word. Yeah. You did. You're, I'm like that. You're that hip. cop on Sanford and Son that tried to get the words, and he'd say gravy instead of groovy. Gravy baby. Yeah. I'm, we're gonna start using that now. Yeah. Gravy, gravy. baby. Gravy. Yeah. Well, we've got some stories. Anything other comments you got? Uh, that's it. At the time of this recording, the Democratic uh, convention is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of as of this date, this is going to sound like Doctor Past, but we don't mm-hmm. know yet the Republican nominee. The folks listening right now do. Mm-hmm. But um, we will be uh, very curious to see the world that we're living in after the time we're recording this. Mm-hmm. So we're going to re- uh, talk about some news. That's mm-hmm. newsworthy right now as of this point in time. Yes. Would you like to go first? Um, or would you like me to? Well, I would like... What do you want to do? 
I want to please you. No, no, no. You're the guy who works. You're the guy who works hard on. Read a story. All right, there you go. Fanny, Freddie collapse, catastrophic. Okay. Now, for all of our non-financial geek people, explain what Fannie Freddie is. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are uh, mortgage finance companies that are really, really, really big. They're pseudo government almost. The government yeah. sort of established yeah. them. They sort of act like they're private. Well, they were. They were. Uh, I can't. I, I can't say for sure in, in both of them, but at least one of them was was started to bring affordable housing, bring mm-hmm. loans for affordable housing for people, and they've since sort of walked away from that mandate and have kind of just been clearing houses for whatever mortgage they could get a hold of. It's a very sh- socialistic uh, type arrangement where... It's, it's a little weird. They pretend that they're private. In some mm-hmm. ways, they compete with the private industry, but mm-hmm. they're government-backed. Yes. But I understand there's a story from Bloomberg, which is a major uh, news newswire for financial news, mm-hmm. that there's a, there's a major investment person that's saying, when this collapses, what? It's all going to break loose. Yeah. Uh, and, in fact, we're getting to that. A failure of U.S. mortgage finance companies, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, could be a catas- could be catastrophic for the global financial system, says Yu Yongding, a former advisor to the Chinese Central Bank. That's okay. what, I, that's what I, I say. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, just to inform our listeners a little bit more, what happens a lot is uh, these sovereign wealth funds, uh, they... They've bought a lot of a lot of stock and securities. And now, is that a pool of money actually run by heads of state of other countries? Yes. Okay. Uh, as near as I can figure, I haven't looked into that too much, yeah. but I believe they are. Yeah, they they've actually got the wherewithal. China's a big yeah. one. Yes, uh, I know that. I was looking into Russia's investment into uh, Fannie Mae because I think it might have might have something to do with uh, our current conflab over there with Georgia, Russia, and us backing everybody. Uh, currently, one-sixth of their entire M3 and 4X money supplies is tied up in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So is that the best hope we have that they won't nuke us, is that it would ruin their investments here? Well, probably not the best hope, but it is something okay. to something at least the listeners should consider a little okay. bit. Okay. What does he, I think he says some pretty provocative things here. Oh, yes, he does. Okay. If the U.S. government allows Fannie and Freddie to fail and international investors are not compensated adequately, the consequences will be catastrophic, you said in emailed answers to questions yesterday. If it is not the end of the world, it is the end of the current international financial system. Freddie and Fannie shares touched 20-year lows yesterday on speculation that a government bailout will leave the stocks worthless. Treasury Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson won approval for the U.S. Congress last month to pump unlimited amounts of capital into the companies in an emergency, which is uh, awfully socialistic. Which means they're just going to shake us down for the money since they don't have any personal money. It's just ours. They're Somebody's going to pay for it, behalf. and it ain't going to be Henry Paulson. It'd be like taking your no-count relative and giving them your credit card, and they're doing whatever they see fit, but it's really you paying the bills. Yes. Okay. That's exactly, that's a very good analogy. Except that probably is an insult to no-count relatives to compare them to these figures. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to have to write a book of sayings. Okay. China's $376 billion of long-term U.S. agency debt is mostly in Fannie and Freddie assets, according to James McCormick, head of Asian Sovereign Ratings at Fitch Ratings Limited in Hong Kong. The Chinese government probably holds the bulk of that amount, according to McCormick. 
Wow. That's a lot of mm-hmm. money. Industrial and Commercial Bank of China yesterday reported a $2.7 billion holding. Bank of China Limited may have as much, many as $20 billion, according to CLSA Limited, the Hong Kong-based investment banking arm of France's Credit Agricole SA. CLSA puts the exposure of the six biggest Chinese banks at $30 billion. That's a lot of money. Okay. Uh, the seriousness of such failures could be beyond the stretch of people's imagination, said Yu, a professor at the Institute of World Economics and Politics at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences in Beijing. He didn't explain why he held the view. Um, I think that about covers it. Okay. Right there. So... It sounds like this is the cornerstone of a house of cards in our world economic system. Something as innocuous as this, a lot of people in our public don't even know about them. Mm-hmm. But if it comes down, we have international experts saying it's going to upset every economic structure. Well, I do counterbalance. Together. I do counterbalance that statement with the fact that China, in my experience and from what I've seen observed tends to negotiate in what's called the Soviet style of negotiation where they blow everything out of proportion, you know, walk away from the table several times and with the idea that they can get a better deal when the other person tries to appease Mm -hmm. their radical behavior. That's the same way I buy a car. Well, that's the same way I order food, (laughs) like at Wendy's. Is that right? Yeah, they go... You barter for food? That'll be $5.96 for that number three. And I go, ah! And up in the up in the counter, yeah, I walk yeah. out. And you make your own extra value menu. Yes, amazing. I've actually had them pay me to to get out. You just don't know <laughs> what they do to your food behind the counter, which you can't see. This is true. Yeah, this is true. That's amazing. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we, we're making light of something that could be catastrophic. A lot of people yes. don't even understand that countries like China, one of their most effective strategies to overcome us is not to shoot missiles at us. But to just not buy our debt anymore. If they yeah. decided one day we're not going to buy your debt, uh, we have gotten so used to knowing that they're there at the end of the counter to hand us money whenever we need it. I mean, if you think it's bad, if you need to regularly get loans and suddenly none of the banks will give you money, mm-hmm. that's the state our country is, is as I yeah. understand it, with China. Well, you we pe- assume China's there to buy it. Well, the people in the know seem to me to be sort of predicting not – when the economy is going to crash, but how far? Because it's already a given mm-hmm. that you know we're looking for to to, to uh, steal a phrase from our guest Mish. Uh, we're looking at a very long, very deep, very steep L-shaped recession. L means it drops straight down and then stays flat for a long time, right? Yes. Okay. I think what he actually meant was like uh, like a backslash. I believe I believe on the radio he said that it would just sort of. You know, keep going down. It wasn't necessarily, yeah. he wasn't predicting a catastrophic drop. Which what about like an ampersand uh, recession? What would that look like? Well, we could always do like a tilde recession or, yeah. you know. Okay. Uh, um, or asterisks. Yeah, recession. or a pound key recession. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, now we're getting silly. Yeah. We don't want we're to sorry, get folks. That, this is a very serious issue. We don't issue. want to get that precedent. Uh, I recommend that, you know, you can you can look up some of this stuff at globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com. Uh-huh. Read on. Or listen to Mish on our show at Future Quest oh, yeah. as well, too. Um, this is going to affect everybody. So it's we want it's you big. To be aware of it. Yeah. I've got a story, a quick one. Mm-hmm. Uh, NSA, National Security Agency, wants to kill bloggers 
uh, a national security officer says we should just kill these people. This is from the op-ed news, uh, and this is from some information that came from Wayne Mads- Madsen, who is a premier-level investigative reporter. He's independent mm-hmm. in Washington, yeah. and he is so good and so capable of giving information that he can charge significant sums of money to do investigative work for other news wires to get the wow, stuff. Wow, that's good. He's a... Uh, he knows his stuff. He's highly regarded, and he gets the scoop. That's good. Um, but it says uh, Wayne Madsen has an executive level NSA or National Security Agency, mm-hmm. which is like the CIA, only more secretive and more powerful. Uh, he has a NSA staff person on record saying that significant sentiment exists within the NSA to kill troublesome bloggers and journalists. I hope future quakes. So is you're not saying, on that. so you're saying here that this. Uh, par this investigative reporter par excellence has gotten uh, a high level NSA official to say that they just want to kill troublesome bloggers. Yes, and journalists. And journalists. And I've got names here. Well, okay. let's well, lay it on us. Okay. Uh, says uh, Wayne Madsen always spoiling for a fight with Bush and Cheney or the chance to show off uh, uh, his battle with uh, airport TSA workers has an executive-level NSA staff personal record saying that significant sentiment exists to kill these people. Wow. Uh, the NSA executive staffer said, apparently, not the source of the sentiment within NSA, but this individual did pass on the context and the precise wording of the junior uh, staff person working at the NSA. Prominent names listed in the NSA database of troublemakers include Bill Gertz, who's a very well-known guy. Yep. But bus news, particularly military. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Bamford, Vernon uh, Lieb, Loeb, Loeb, Loeb. That's right, Loeb. James Risen, Risen, Risen. Um, uh, Doctor John K. Daly, Daly. I know, I knew that one. I was just testing. <laughs> it. And then Wayne Wayne Madsen and Seymour Hirsch. Oh, like Cy Hirsch. Our, yeah, we had him on. Yeah, well, we didn't yeah. have him on. We read it as news story. Yeah, 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 yeah. About the uh, probably Cheney's very upset. About him saying about how they talked about building those ships to look like Iranians. Wow. They have them yeah, attack us. That's true. Uh, these were names uh, Madsen published, but there are, of course, many others. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's that's the the basics of it. But wow. uh, they're pulling off the gloves. You know, it used to be they'd tase you and hang you. Well, no, they just you know, make I'm, you I'm a future quake. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> So much for the compliments and encouragement. <laughs> i got to poke you once in a while. Uh-huh. Well, um, you know, it used to be in the old days they just intimidate you. Now they tase you and hang you. So I don't know what they're referring to about this kind of stuff. So, Well, it's interesting that this has come up. I have a good friend of mine who's an ex-Marine. and uh, There is uh, no such thing as an ex-Marine. He's an ex-Marine. What, he's disavowed Marina? They threw him out? Well, they didn't throw him out. They, that's the one thing Marines say. They, they're, 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 you're always a Marine. Well, he's disavowed the Marines. Like, did he break his sword over his knee and cut the patches off and the buttons? Well, probably not nothing like that. But Okay. He anyway. Is, he has a friend who, and this story, this story comes to me secondhand, so I have not confirmed all this. Mm-hmm. But he told me of a friend of, uh, a friend of his whom I, whom I have met and I know does run a blog uh, back, when the, uh, back when we first invaded Iraq. Uh, he was writing, writing on this stuff, and he said it seems like it's an intelligence cover-up, and none of the stuff seems clear, and writing very scathing sort of emails uh, or blogs rather, based in fact. Um, and somebody 
that knew his wife who worked at the CIA called him and said, uh, called her and said, hey, you need to uh, tell your husband to knock it off because there are people watching his stuff and they're really not liking what he's saying. Hmm. And this is someone connected to somebody you know. Yes. Wow. Interesting. Will? Is this me? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't know... Uh, I don't know what to say. Yeah, it's and not. It's pretty close to home. None of that. None of that. Now, I would like to say to our listeners, I haven't confirmed that stuff. Yeah. But I have talked to the individual who supposedly all this happened to, so I know that he exists and I know that he runs mm-hmm. blog. Well, I, it reminds me of the old adage they had in the Army Field Manual mm-hmm. uh, that told the, the front-level infantrymen. They said, uh, "Look unimportant. The enemy may be low on ammo." So maybe that's what's working in our favor right now is that uh, we're just down in the noise of unimportance. I'd like to I'd like to think it's that it's the Lord doing something. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, the Lord just keeps me from just messing myself up amongst anybody else doing it. Well, you know, sometimes I think he's has he has his hands full with that with me as well. Yeah. But then again, you know, his power is infinite. So that's right. We're he can he can juggle another ball. Right. Do you have another story for us? I do. Okay. Our time's a-wasting. Is this a quick one? I can make it quick. This one is from Debka. Oh, you know what? No, let's go. Yeah, this this one is from Debka. Here we go. Okay. The U.S. concedes Kremlin's first military response in Georgia was legitimate. Now, wait. Th- this Debka source yes. is one that's very popular at the Pentagon with mm-hmm. military... Uh, strong influence from Israeli Defense Force, very pro-Israel mm-hmm. attitude, which is very interesting looking at this, given that Israel was strongly on the side of Georgia. Mm-hmm. But this is one that you're saying that the ambassador is saying that um, the, the Russian response... The U.S. Response is conceding is pro- that the Kremlin's first military response in Georgia was legitimate. Okay, read further. The U.S. ambassador to Moscow endorsing Russia's initial moves in Georgia described the Kremlin's first military response as legitimate after Russian troops came under attack. This was the first positive statement by an American official about Moscow's first response to the Georgian invasion of South Ossetia after a string of condemnations from the heads of the Bush Bush administration. It came from U.S. Ambassador John Beryl, I believe that's how you say that, who arrived in Moscow last month in an interview published by the Russian Daily Commerçant, Friday, August 22nd. Uh, Debcanet Weekly disclosed Friday in its lead article that Washington and Moscow are working quietly and intensively to set up a summit between President George W. Bush and Russian Prime Minister Vladimir Putin to bring crisis-ridden U.S.-Russian relations back on an even keel. Uh, Both powers are pushing for a a Bush-Putin summit. Hmm. Um, Let's see. That's kind of the that's kind of the gist of it, really. Okay, so so basically, people on our side are admitting, after all our media saying how horrible Russia was to go in there and do what they did, our own ambassador is saying, well, they did they, they were did the, the right. right thing. Yeah, they Georgia attacked first. I I've only heard that on Future Quake. I've not heard that on any other television or radio show. Well, um, you heard it here first. I guess. So why should anybody even bother listening to any other media yeah. sources other forget, than here? Forget Fox News. It's I would best say, spelled F-A-U-X. I would, I would <laughs> recommend you spend your time gardening, doing something with the kids, whatever, 
that you would other waste watching any of the news sources, ex- yeah. except for Future Quake. Well, it's easy to see, you know. Like I had one friend get so so angry at the news just last night. He was like yelling at the TV. I heard. That's insane. Yeah, I know. I can't imagine. Three in the morning. What you heard that from Mrs. Future? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're <laughs> embellishing. There was no yelling going on. I'm just repeating what I heard. <laughs> well, I, our time is about up. Can I get through yes. a couple quick things? Because yes. these are very relevant. Yeah. They may be overcome by events by the time our listeners yeah. have heard this. Uh, our listeners may be in bunkers right now at the time they're listening to this, uh, hearing mm-hmm. this transmitted. Interesting that they have space. radio and Internet connections. And it's amazing yeah. things happen. Yeah. Okay, this is... Uh, Russian U.S. ships confronted each other at uh, Georgian port. Uh, this is uh, from uh, Tuesday, August 26th. Uh, it says uh, the Russian Black Sea missile cruiser Moskva. Uh, let's see. Excuse me. The the U.S. embassy in Tbilisi said Tuesday the two warships will deliver aid to Georgia Wednesday through the Black Sea port of Poti. Poti, I believe, yes. Um, then, uh, the day after Russian forces announced they would search all incoming cargoes. This is the same setup that happened with the Cuban Missile Crisis, by the way. Uh, the first U.S. aid warship docked at Batumi Saturday to avoid friction with the Russian naval, infantry, and armored forces which control the Poti port. So they chickened out. Now they're making the gauntlet run directly on the heart of the Russian ships. Whoa. The Black wow. Sea confrontation between Russia and the U.S.-led naval, uh, NATO forces predicted last week on Debka is building up to a climax. In Moscow, Debka's military sources report Captain Igor Daigalo, deputy commander of the Russian Navy, announced that the Moskva missile cruiser will carry out a naval exercise on the Black Sea. The Russians are clearly marking out their control of the Black Sea in the face of the USS McFall. Guided missile destroyers arrival with aid for Georgia. It's funny they put an aid ship that's a guided missile destroyer. Uh, our sources report that McFall carries 50 Tomahawk cruise missiles capable of striking land and sea targets. Captain Daigalo said the Moskva would practice its wire-guided weapons, communications, and missile guidance systems. The exercise will no doubt interfere with the movements of NATO vessels, as clearly intended. Russian Deputy Chief of Staff General Anatoly uh, Nogovitsyn reported Monday of nine Western vessels in the Black Sea, two American, four Turkish, and rest Polish and Spanish. He said their presence was not a cause for concern. However, Debka's military sources report that a clash is becoming inevitable whether amongst these hostile fleets or over Russian troops' demand to search the cargoes of the two U.S. warships when they dock at Pody Wednesday. The U.S. Coast Guard cutter Dallas and the command and control USS Mount Whitney. The latter is equipped with facilities for commanding sea, land, and air combat operations. Whoa. I, this may be, this may be uh, you may be hearing this a little bit dated. Yeah. By the time. Uh, yeah, you, get, you might be hearing may, it from your shelter. Yeah, your, your bunker. Basically, that's, I mean, you know, I, I wasn't there. I was minus two yeah. when this, or three when this happened. But yeah. the Cuban Missile Crisis was based, basically a showdown mm-hmm. over trying to run a blockade. This Don't time an American blockade. Yep. And, you know, we we're going to have to board ships and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're right there again. Wow. Even though it's in a faraway place, it's it's sort of like in their Cuba, sort of their back door versus ours this time. Yeah. But... Uh, this is serious business, and we need to pray about it. We don't mean to make light yeah. of it. Uh, can I do just a couple of paragraphs on something real quick sure. related to that, and then we'll, we'll wrap her up? Um, the Russian president, Dmitry Medvedev, um, it says basically that they are ready for a, not afraid of a Cold War. 
after approving the Georgian region's independence. Uh, the, the move sparked a sharp exchange between Washington and Moscow. Uh, the Russian president warned of military responses to the U.S. Mil- missile shield in Europe. Uh, s- signing the decrees confirming South Ossetian and Abkhazian de- independence, uh, the Russian president uh, said that they are prepared to go to any length to defend the enclaves. We are not afraid of anything, including the prospect of a Cold War. Uh, of oh. course, we don't need yeah we don't need that. Everything depends on the stance of our partners and world community. Um, and it was approved unanimously by the Russian upper house. Uh, they're also planning further sanctions against Georgia and its U.S. NATO backers in Eastern Europe. Uh, U.S. State Department says the recognition of their independence of these provinces is violation of Georgian territorial integrity, hmm. inconsistent with international law. U.S. Foreign Secretary says the same thing. Russia has canceled a visit by NATO Secretary General. Uh, he, they are weighing halting cooperation with the NATO alliance. Uh, and a NATO ambassador says a new understanding is needed to be reached. So, Wow. I know we got to go. Let's go. Um, but first we can let I got Merv tell us uh, how you can let get a hold of us. So, yeah. Merv, come on in and tell us how you can get a hold of us. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's it for another week. we got like 10, 15 seconds. Any comments? Scary. Yeah, very intense. Intense. Um, next couple of months, your vibe's telling you they're going to be... Mm, boy, I don't know. We're not prophets. We're yeah. not saying we're prophets. No, but I, I may, you may want to stockpile food. Stay tuned to Future Quake. Mm-hmm. Disregard other news sources. Stay tuned to Future Quake. If you need to get a whole story ahead of the week, it's at futurequake.com mm-hmm. uh, for, for a whole week. Until next week, we pray for your protection for you and your family. Till then, uh, Tom and I send you our warmest regard and hope yes. it's very bright. Have a good day. Sign R. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 Crowding out old realities There's revolution